We uh, just completed uh, July 4th in the uh, celebration of our independence as a nation. And uh, we do that to cause us to remember the gift that we have here in America. We appreciate it because uh, I watched um, a news interview with students as they were doing a survey, I think it's William and Mary, and they were asking the students, uh, do you think America is great? The majority of the students said no. Several students said, I thought it used to be, but not anymore. Uh, it was a negative, uh, a negative tone toward, do you just believe in America? I, I want to tell you something. <clears throat> the news media, if that's all they show, and you have in minds that can be persuaded, it will make you believe, well, America isn't great. But I, I will declare from this pulpit and to the thousands that are listening online and to this video that will go worldwide, that America is still the greatest nation in all the world, and I am a proud American. Facing today's reality, however, America has some major challenges. Now, this message is not going to make you feel warm and fuzzy. It's not going to be one that you're going to get a divine revelation necessarily from God to become a missionary. What it is going to do is to remind us of the track that we need to be upon. America is not great because of our industry, because of our wealth. America, my friend, was founded on, as I mentioned on the service Wednesday night, on the biblical principles of the Word of God. And today, I want to remind us of a few of those. It is not my goal to offend anyone in this message. I'm going to preach from the Word of God. And preaching sometimes from the Word of God in a culture that don't, no longer believes the Word of God to be the guide. The strong culture of America no longer believes that. But I'm going to preach the truth to you and you see how it comes out in your own life. We know that there are hurdles that we often all face, hurdles in every part of our life. We don't like to have to overcome hurdles, but if we work out, eventually we're able to come overcome one hurdle after another. So the Word of God, through the writings of the Apostle Paul, to the church at Rome, Romans the 12th chapter, you already know, says, I want to give you some good godly advice. And he's speaking to that church. He's speaking to this church and to the thousands of you out there. And this is what he said. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. <laughs> For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given to you. 
In other words, present your bodies, your mind, your desire, your dreams, your actions. Present those as an action of holy worship <coughs> unto God. Amen. Chuck Colson, who wrote a book, Lies That Go Unchallenged. He said, as a culture, we no longer know the author of life who created us in his image. Instead, we define human beings as the product of random evolutionary process. And we believe that we survive and grow if we do what is most fulfilling in yourselves. When moral guidelines are not based on the holy character of our Creator, we think that we are free to set our own agenda. In other words, I have to have it my way, my ideology, and what I believe is how I'm going to function in my life. Don't tell me, preacher. Don't go to the Bible. Here's what I know. I have to function for myself. George Barnes said, and I quote, Americans may have fallen in love with faith rather than the object of their faith. It's much less demanding to be, a devo to be devoted to the idea of faith than to invest yourself in a true relationship with the living God. Are you a Christian? Yes, sir. Where do you go to church? Well, I don't really go to church. What is he just saying? You're in love with faith. He says we have fallen in love with faith, but we have forsaken the object of what that faith is about. His name is Jesus Christ. I'll give you the definition of what Christian means in a few moments. There are several questions that I'd like to talk to you about as I herald once again a checkup in the hearts of Victory Church and our nation together. I believe that as Americans, our American culture is in serious spiritual trouble. And I want to share with you three points. Number one, what is the foundation for spiritual guidance? How do I know that I know that what I'm doing, what I believe, and how I'm walking, and how I'm living. Well, we know that Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 8, out of the Old Testament, these commandments, talking about the Ten Commandments, that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. He's talking about, do you understand and do you believe the Ten Commandments? Do what? Hide those laws of the commandments in your heart. Teach them to your children. How do you do that today? That your children learn the power of reading the Word of God through your personal devotions as a family, breaking the bread of truth and sharing that moment that the family knows this is devotion time. You talk about those truths. You talk about basic spiritual principles, and then you keep them visible for people to see. And we find that that's outlined in Exodus 20, verse number 1 through 17. So just in case we need a checkup, I thought I'd go through the Ten Commandments with you this morning. Number one, Exodus 20, verse number three, 
It says, you shall have no other gods before me. What it means is that you love God first, that your family know the priorities that, hey, God is always first in our household, not what we want to do. We know that not into worship, but he says in everything, you might have supremacy so that your kids know, hey, we go to church. We have devotions. We pay our tithe. We get together for prayer. When we have problems, we don't curse, rant, and rave. We get in an altar in our home and bow down and call heaven down and believe God. God is number one in our life. You cannot raise your family unless you put God first and expect positive results. Number 220, Exodus 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on earth, beneath or in the waters below. Your boat is not your idol. Your golf clubs are not your idol. Your sports car is not your idol. Your spouse is not your idol. Your kids are not your idol. Your position is not your idol. You, my friend, are totally committed to the one person, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. What is an idol? An idol is anything that stands between you and a passionate, aggressive relationship with Jesus. I'm preaching to the choir. I love my grandkids. Have no other God. Make no image of God to worship. He is beyond man's ability to create. Number three, Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless. You just go ahead and turn out a GD. He says you will not be held guiltless. You better not misuse that name Jesus. He says who misuses his name, reverence his name. His name is great and due to be declared. Not curse words, not slang words. Come on, somebody. Not to take, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my Jesus. And use it in a derogatory way. When you declare his name, all heaven stands at attention. And his name will cause the powers of darkness to shake. And my friend, boldly I say to you, do not let that get past you this morning. We are not to use his name in vain. Don't use it wrongly. This is number four, Exodus 20, verse number eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We call it the Lord's day. We keep it holy. You cease from labor. Of course, we understand that you give yourself to God. Okay, I'm just sitting on the front porch. This is the Lord's day. And you say, I don't have to go to church because, you know, that's what culture says. Why do you need to go down there? Because the Bible says you ought to get yourself together and get down to that house of worship so you tell your kids when the Lord's Day rolls around, we're not out chasing some strawberry farmer picking strawberries off a bush. We are in the house of a living God and declaring that that is His day. It does not belong to me. I do what God says on His day. Exodus 20, 12. 
Honor your old man and old lady. I hope you got more sense. My old lady. Honor your father and your mother. Listen, young people. So that you may live long <laughs> in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. Yes. Amen. You see, you would not exist had it not been from a, for a daddy mm -hmm. and a mama. That's right. And there is a, there is a recognition that he says, I want you to honor mom and dad because if you won't honor what's right before you, you will never honor a God of whom you've never seen. Right. You honor your mom. Well, I never, he was an old drunk. Doesn't matter. He's still your daddy. Amen. Amen. You pray for them. You honor them. You call them. You don't forsake them. You may not agree with them, but buddy, you better honor them and not let anybody abuse them the wonderful position of a mom and dad. Anybody out there? Yeah. Exodus 20, 13. You, ought, you shouldn't kill anybody. Don't go out and shoot somebody. Thou shalt not murder. Don't commit murder. Human life is a gift from God. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Human life. Here's what the culture, the culture says, but with uh, that baby is not what you want. We can take that baby's life. That is your choice. Let me tell you, you didn't create a baby. The Heavenly Father created that baby, and the abortionists are going to stand on the day of judgment and going to find out what it was to take a human life. So when you're wound up, I need to be wound up. It's when we celebrate, it's time that we stand up and take attention to things that are important. You shouldn't commit adultery. Hello? Don't, get, don't be laying around. You keep marriage pure. Keep away from all sexual immorality. You say, well, I failed in that area. I understand that. But oh, the beauty of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, which redeems us and forgives us and causes us to forget. Amen? Exodus 20, 15. I skipped that point in the first service. And then I thought, I have a, there's something missing here. And I said, did I mention adultery? And they said, no. I had to go back and get it. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't steal. Amen. Don't steal. Work for what you get. I said, work for what work. you get. Yes, that's right. Be honest. Take nothing that is not yours, not a fountain pen, not 20 toothpicks unless you ask if you can take them. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Don't lie about your neighbor. Don't Use false accusation, false assumption. Who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is not necessarily the one geographically located next to you. That's right. Your neighbor is the person that you know in line at the grocery store. Yeah. Hello? Your neighbor's the one that you called a jerk the other day. That's your neighbor. Your neighbor's the person that you may not like. Love your enemies. He said, don't do that. Number 10, you shall not cover your neighbor's house. How many know that's important? Yeah. But for some reason, he thought he ought to say this. You shouldn't covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant. 
his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor, his ox or his donkey. You know what that is? That's that 360 degree lawnmower that he has. You don't covet that because it'll turn on a dime. You don't do that. You don't look at her jewelry and say, oh man, I'd love to have that jewelry. It's probably fake. And you're going to covet a piece of fake jewelry? How many know there's that? They wear these little things called piranha on their, what is it, piranha? Pandora, yeah. I, I, knew, I knew it started with a P. Some of those are pretty expensive, though, Robbie. You know, you go down to Lakeside and get them at one of those stores. You see, why should we uphold these commandments? Well, I do pretty good with most of them. I think we all do. But we also need to be reminded from time to time what God's Word says. Why? Because that is, that's a guide. Would you say amen to that? It's a guide. That's a guide. There's only one on there that I saw that he says, hey, you will die if you don't do this, and that's not honor your parents. If you want a long life, you better honor them. In other words, God had something in mind. You get, you get sideways with mom and daddy, your life's going to be over. Well, I knew that when I was coming up as a kid. You didn't have to tell me if I dishonored my mother, I talked back to her. Let me just tell you something. My daddy didn't wait to the end of the day. My daddy took me to, to don't you even raise your voice like that to your mama. I can't tell you what I was thinking about my daddy and my mama. Had he knew what I was thinking at that time, I'm, I'm here to tell you, but he'd always take it to task. Always take it to test. Don't you disrespect your mama. You know what's going on today in families? Bless God, I'm about to turn loose in a little yard talk. Is men don't respect their wife and women don't respect their husband. And you expect children to come along and respect mom and dad? Pray tell, sir. Let me tell you, the most valued possession that you have is not your car, not your job, not your muscle machine, not your great room. It is the spouse that God has given you don't disrespect her in front of your kids and if you got a problem with her go into a private room and stand there like a man and say Sharon and I had disagreements I mean it can I know it's hard to imagine with somebody like me. <laughs> but I can tell you what we didn't do. We didn't take our issues out in front of our kids. Before the kids came along, she did take a head of lettuce and hit me in the head with it one time. <laughs> and that really got my attention. And I wasn't quite sanctified, and I picked it up to throw it back. <laughs> but the Holy Ghost said, I wouldn't do that. She knows where the knives are. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So what about our culture? We deal with this. 34% in our culture, according to the latest studies by Barna and Pugh, 34% believe that we are born neither good nor evil. Scripture says in Romans 3.23 that we have all sinned and there is no good in any of us. 44% believe the Bible, the Quran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same truth. God and the Word of God is the only absolute guide. That's what the church believes. That there's only one guide that will take you where you need to be. And you can find that in John 1, 1, right there. Well, here's another. What are the signs of spiritual shifts in our culture? How many of you believe that we're worse off today than we were 10 years ago as a culture? How many of you know we'll be worse off 10 years from now than where we are now? Why? Because sin has no boundary. There is no bottom to the power of darkness. Nothing, 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 nothing. So you go from, in all the testimony of those engaged in pornography, they start out looking at girly pictures. How many know what a girly picture is? Look at a girly picture. And if you talk to those that are hardcore, after a while, they are numbed by that to the degree that human nature has to have more. And they go, and when you hit the bottom, you are actually abusing children because you've gone several layers into the gutter, and that's where it leads you to. As a result of that, that is a diabolical power of the enemy to control a person through, hey, through that particular area of life, pornography. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll just tell you this since I'm doing the preaching. Don't expect your kids to have a good, clean mind and clear conscience when you put them off in a room and you let them look at trash of killing and murder and all that goes on, even on video games, and expect them to have a holy mind. Hello? a holy mind. Guard your children, guard them, cherish them, and don't let them be, well, they ought to be a well-rounded child. I mean, I don't want to hide reality from them. Hello. Present spiritual truth to them, and they'll know when they see trash, that doesn't belong in their life and their family. Amen. Amen. So here we go. We understand 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5. Are you ready? I know that you are. You receive it. I know that you do. Here we go. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedience to their parents, ungrateful, meaning entitled, unholy, without love, unforgiving, 
That's called um, when you're driving, and it's called road rage. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, hurting your feelings and not caring. Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying the power, have nothing to do with them. Amen. Amen. So this is Paul writing into Timothy. Now listen, if I paid attention to that word for word, I wouldn't have any friends, have nothing to do for them, with them. Because I've got some friends who love the almighty dollar. They work 70 hours a week to provide a better life for children who miss them because they're busy earning a living. Lovers of pleasure, we could go on and on. How many of you like pleasure? I do. I, I could recognize pleasure two out of three times. But here's what he says. There is a marked difference between an individual who really has taken into serious consideration. Always remember that the enemy will subtly lead us as a culture into arenas that we just drifted into. Every word of the Scripture is now manifested in the culture that we live in today. It's all there right now. George Bona shared some thought-provoking information. Here's what he said. Six out of ten do not believe Satan exists. Well, you're never going to convince me of that because I've met a whole lot of them. Individuals who, who are powered by Satan. You see, I tell Sharon all the time, you see that right there, Sharon? That is demonically energized by the power of darkness. That statement, that action, what the media shows, that is right out of the pit of hell right there. And every time you see it, you say, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You understand it's there. It's there in the media. And so we know 54% believe Jesus committed sins while here on earth. That's an abomination unto God. 66% don't believe the Bible specifically condemns homosexuality. I'm talking about the sin. But if you take a look at Leviticus 20, verse number 13, you'd have to change your mind if you believe the look. So what are we to do? We are to love the person who's sinning, but we are to hate the sin. Are you with me? 44% oppose the marriage amendment that marriage should be between a man and a woman. 44%. I had a pastor friend of mine that said, I let gay people work in the church nursery. Let me just tell you, this is plain old yard talk. My kid is not going in there. That's right. Are you with me? Because you see, when you are bound by that kind of sin, you cross a line that you can't tell when you're involved in the sin. 
So straight up, not to harm or offend, but we know that that sin is wrong, but we're to do everything that we can to love that individual into a relationship with Jesus Christ. 60% say they are spiritual, but not committed. 44% or 40% say that they may go to church on Sunday if it's convenient. 62% agree, let's just move in together, cohabitation. 36% accept drunkenness as a way of life. Friend, if you're raised in a home where mom and dad were drunks, you just are a miracle of God. If you can halfway think straight today, because it adversely affects the children when there's alcoholism in the house. 37% accept profanity. I mean, my Lord, it's not much. I got to say something. You show your ignorance every time you use profanity. That's right. That's I don't right. like you anymore. You will you know, keep it under your breath. <coughs> but had you rather me soft pedal, or had you rather me just tell you what is according to this book right here? And that's what today is about. <coughs> we know 39% except pornography, but i got to have it. And the question is, if we believe that we are supposed to live according to the Scripture, God and the Ten Commandments, if we believe that and we're doing it, how in the world did our nation, our culture, get so far off track? And it's simple. It's through disobedient, spiritual, and cultural shifts. Barna says research shows that our nation's theological views have become less aligned with the Bible. Because all research shows we may believe the Bible, but we don't know what it says. And it states the only time that many people even open the book is when they're trying to figure out something they think that the Bible says. And they go through and begin to look at it. He said, we don't even know the Bible. That's the process of growth track that we offer. You see, people have a worldview, a worldview. Culture, ungodly culture will tell you, hey, we will decide what's right and what's wrong, the issues of life, how to live life, and the management of cultural and moral issues. Whatever is acceptable in the culture, it's okay. I had a lady the other day, I was talking to her about her teenager who was 18. And I said to her, Is he active, do you believe, sexually? Oh, yeah. She said, I mean, at that age, Pastor, that's, they ought to be trying out a little bit. You know, it's, I mean, it's accepted in the culture. All his friends, I mean, they, they hardly even date one time that they don't become sexually active. You know, sadly, that's the truth. But that's not right. There still should be a special moment when a young man and a young woman says, I do. And that a great expectation should exist in both of their lives. Tonight's our honeymoon. And we get to discover and explore the intimacies of each other that should be sacred thank you
but it's not. Because the majority of counseling and premarital counseling that I do, the strong majority, did not withhold themselves until marriage. A biblical worldview is one that filters all decisions and opinions through the Scripture. A biblical worldview has been defined as believing that absolute moral truths exist and that such truth is defined by the Bible and firm belief in six specific areas of religion. One, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. You believe it? Say amen. Amen. Number two, God is an all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and he still rules today. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Three, salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. If you believe it, say amen. Satan is a real foe. You believe that? Say amen. I don't even want to mention his name. I mean, why even give him airtime? Hey, you know what? You can hide your head in the sand and think he doesn't exist. But let me tell you, my friend, he exists more than you do. I prefer to tell you and encourage you, name that Goliath, amen. Put a target on Goliath and then take him out, amen. We're not afraid of you, Satan. And then a Christian has a responsibility to share his faith in Christ with other people. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. You share it with other people. Go into all the world. Number six, the Bible is accurate in all of its teaching. Not parcel, but in this book. Only 51% of Protestant pastors have a biblical worldview. And of those, 49% say that six out of seven of their churches do not have a biblical worldview. Pastor, do not preach to me that would cause me to feel like a misfit in the culture in which I live. Don't go there. Don't mention sin. Don't mention some of these areas like homosexuality. Just don't mention it. People need to come and feel comfortable when they go to church. Well, pray tell. If you thought you were going to be comfortable when Jesus was preaching... You soon found out there's no comfort level here because here's what he did. He spoke the truth, and the truth, my friend, will challenge you every single time and cause conviction to fall and make you come, come to the graces of the knowledge of the Word of God. So as we a nation, as a nation, are we being molded by Scripture, the heart of God, the church? Or are we being molded by the media? A political view, newsprint, movies, television, or loud voices that have the microphone who have a simple message but have no conscience about a biblical worldview. Only 18% support the removal of of moving when we move the Ten Commandments out of public buildings, do you know that only 18% thought we ought to do it? By my math, 82% said, leave it there. 
but it took off. Not only that, 13% support, 13% support the removal of in God we trust in our currency. Do you know what that means? Wow. 87% says don't take it out. But do you know what will happen? The loud voices with the microphone will be the ones to shout the loudest. And you know what we will do and the church will do? And those of us, we just are really quiet. Well, it's high time that the church began to stand up and say, no more, no more. Not a shame. Not a shame. Well, we know that we ought to respond correctly. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, 6, verse 17. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly provides us with everything for our own enjoyment. Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may Take hold of the life that is truly life. I don't have to worry about that, preacher. I ain't rich. Uh Uh-uh. The wealth of the world is seated right here. Other nations look at America and say the most wealthy nation in the world are Americans. We have, when is the last time you walked down a path out back of your house to go to the bathroom? Anybody out there? Hello? Some of you don't even know how many toilets you have in the house. Most women do because they're the ones that have to clean them, unless they got an extra good husband who does it. Wealthy. So, what do we do? We believe and live out the Ten Commandments. We're careful that we are not led by our culture away from spiritual truths. We watch out for a self-serving agenda of meaning more as opposed to serving the other. You give yourself away. You serve others. Not my will, but thy will be done. Speak out and stand up for what we believe. And do it in a Christ-like manner. Barna said, people continue to divorce their faith from their self-image and their assessment of personal significance. I, I, I do Facebook. I'm a, I don't know, am I, I'm a prowler? Is that what I am? I just, a prowl. Is that what you call it? Stalker. I knew it was. I knew it started. <laughs> I knew it started with a P. I just couldn't get the right word. I'm a stalker. Cause I find out more about many of you than I would going to have dinner with you. And do you know that major employees today, employers, what's your Facebook address? Cause they want to go look and see who you are. You know. 
I hate it when I see our people, some, some who are just put on Facebook in traffic today, some SOB pulled out in front of me. I felt like I ought to run over them, et cetera. If you got a Volkswagen, I wouldn't do that if I were you, especially if they have a pickup truck. But why would you do that and expect a person who's not a believer to look on your post and you're the confessing Christian? Why would they even want to come and believe? Because you know what? They're going to say, I'm just as good as they are. I've never called somebody who ran me off the road an SOB. You think that's enough said? Thank you for not saying amen. Speak out and stand up for what we believe and do it in that Christ-like manner. There are seven churches in the book of Revelation. Would you stand to your feet? Five of them missed the mark. They all started out with a positive agenda. Ephesus forsook the first love. He was good and sweet in the beginning. Their commitment to Christ But it wasn't long that other things came along and they forsook that first love. Pergamos compromised by false doctrine. Said we can have both. Thyatira was just completely immoral. Sardis, they looked alive. They had the look, that whited sepulcher. But they were dead. There was no life in them. Laodicea was lukewarm. Wow. I'd rather you be hot or cold than to lukewarm and spew you out of my mouth. That's a great marriage, lukewarm. It's misery. Smyrna suffered the two that excelled. Smyrna suffered but remained faithful. They stood for their faith. They got hit, but they stayed true. And Philadelphia, they had an open door from God, and they did not deny the name of Jesus. There's a day coming. Mark it down. We call the rapture of the church. The Bible says that we're to be ready now. That no man knows when the Son of Man is going to come. Listen, everybody, all of you. That could happen now. Right now. Well, you've been saying that for years. I'm going to be saying it a whole lot more years until that day that it happens. Well, California, they're shook up. Don't you believe that? Yeah, a little earthquake there. Then probably 24 hours later, here's another one. That'll get your attention. How fast did that happen? Just like that. They've been warned for years. You're sitting on a fault. Yeah. Hadn't happened so far. But it did. Oh, and let me tell you, it ain't over. It's not over. What I'm trying to suggest to you Our only hope as a church, Victory Church, 
I'm not talking about my good friends at First Baptist or Church of the Nazarene. I'm talking about us. Our only hope to survive is for you and I to fall in love with Jesus Christ Amen. like Amen. never before. Amen. And not be casual about it. We had a program that we used a number of years ago. I love my church. God gave that to me. I brought it forward to the creative committee. Some said, that's a little hokey. I said, I don't care what you think. I believe I heard from God. Sharon told me you should have licensed it. It went around the world. I did not listen. But friend, I love my church. And I love the God who is the head of Victory Church. Amen. Amen. But we need to pay attention. We pay attention. You take whatever part of this message that you heard today and say, God, I, I need a little help here. And let God help you. I had a new convert that hadn't been to church in uh, three, four weeks. I called him up. I said, hey, where you at? Well, we've been to the beach and we've been on the boat. I said, that's good. Remember when you got saved? Yeah. Do you know the trouble you were in and I talked to you every single day? Yeah. You didn't miss a Sunday. But when you're through it, now I don't see you for four weeks. I said, so let me shoot some straight out yard talk to you. Get your priorities straight again. You say, you did that? Absolutely. Because for us to say that we're going to serve God, it takes a certain amount of commitment and sacrifice to be able to do that. Amen. And Victory Church has not become a strong church without sacrifice and commitment from a whole lot of people. A whole lot of people. A whole lot of people. Some of you post on Facebook. You post stuff that's scriptures. That's good. Some of you post things that make me laugh, and I love those posts. Wonderful. But what I'm trying to tell you is, let's make our own personal commitment to be more than we have been before now, and let's let the love of Jesus Christ shine, and let's don't be led by the culture that drives us away from our Christian values. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, Father God, we thank you now. Would you please minister and just meet every need of every family? And maybe you're here this morning and either online or, or you're standing here in this room or you're watching later. And you just really want to get things out of your heart and come clean with the Lord. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer, all of us together. Can you do that? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sins. Father God, I confess my sins, and I surrender to Jesus, and I believe by faith, if I confess my sin, I am now forgiven by the grace of God. Use my life any way you choose. I will not be a silent partner in our relationship. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You prayed that prayer, you need prayer. You're sick in your body. You want to do it God's way? James 5, 14. Come on, those of you that are sick, 
You need a touch of God. you carrying a burden. You're going through a marriage hell on earth, and you need a touch from God. You need wisdom, and you've been crying out from God. This is your moment. So as we sing this song, you come, and then I'll give the benediction. Hang with me. Do not go to the door before the benediction. Here we go, everybody, right now. So come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord, and see. Holy Spirit, you are Heavenly Father, I thank you today for this great Lord's Day. I thank you for the Word of God. I thank you for every person here. I thank you for all those who are listening online. I pray divine unction of your Holy Spirit would arrest us all. I pray, Lord Jesus, you would do what we cannot do. I pray in our time of prayer this afternoon, and when it comes time to come back, that we'll come back and give you praise and honor in the service tonight. We give you honor now in Christ's name. Everybody said amen. Put your hands together one more time. Love you, everybody. God bless you.